Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois, which is located in Chicago's Northwest suburbs. We have the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus here, and we offer holistic medicine, many, many different kinds of holistic treatments, and just a lot of stuff for you guys to kind of get to know us about is available on uh, riversideanimalclinic.net. And then we're also putting in shopping on that website. We have a pretty full pet store, but it's only full of things that we know work and that our clients have tried, that we have tried, that, you know, we brought in ourselves to try on our own dogs, the, the uh, employees' dogs. And um, so we know what we have coming in is going to be a good deal for you. I don't want you to waste your money <laughs> ever on um, any of those uh, treatments, products, that kind of thing. So we test them out first, and um, soon that will be available on shopping at RiversideAnimalClinic.net, so you can get those anytime. Um, so anyway, uh, we'll talk about uh, a few things today. Of course, the pollen is really high already. Mm-hmm. The trees are blooming, uh, budding out and all that. So we have a lot of client questions. Not only how am I going to treat the allergies that my pet's already having, but how am I going to prevent this from happening? There are so many, um, you know, terrible outcomes <laughs> with allergy treatments. And sometimes those are even from traditional allergy medications. Um, So you really have to find what works for your animal. But I think what we've found is that's a really individual thing. It is. Every pet has an individual issue with allergies. Uh, It can be a seasonal allergy. And and the seasonal allergy is it happens pretty much the same time every year, just like clockwork. Um, Non-seasonal allergies, uh, seasonal allergies could become non-seasonal, but non-seasonal seems to happen year-round, whether it's allergy season or not, um, especially in the wintertime. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it, but it is individual medicine. What we try to do is really determine what the individual issue is with your pet. How do they, what are they sensitive to, what are they allergic to, but how does it affect them individually inside the body? Some dogs have uh, GI changes along with skin problems. Some dogs have ear problems. Some dogs have feet uh, licking problems. Uh, It can go across the board. It's one of the most uh, common disease problems. It's in the top five that we see, but also in the top five for the most frustrating because often, you know, initially we're trying to get your pet more comfortable, but we have to be careful with the length of time we're actually using more conventional medicine because we are essentially just blocking the response with conventional therapy and we're helping them to feel comfortable, but it's not a sustainable situation because those products have side effects, but over time- What are the be- products? Well, products um, such as prednisone, uh, most common, uh, commonly used product uh, as an anti-itch, anti-inflammatory, uh, cytopoint injections, um, with cytopoint is an injection last 30 days, stops itching, uh, Apoquil and Atopica, mm-hmm. these are other products that are more daily use uh, in which there's, um, there's also, 
some skin lesions involved with using um, Apoquil. So if, if they're just itching, Cytopoint works really good. If they're having uh, breakout and hot spots, Apoquil seems to be a uh, and atopica seems to be a better choice for that. Mm-hmm. And those are the conventional strategies. Conventional strategies. So we have people who come here who are just conventional people, and that is totally fine. So you work with those cases through conventional ways, but you're always kind of hinting around like we need to move on from this. So yeah. you're looking at different strategies, different things that might work, different things to even avoid. Um, avoidance is a strategy. Exactly. Because, um, if they're um, being exposed to plant pollens, uh, we need to remove those plant pollens. So shampoos can be very useful for that. Also, once it gets into the system, how does the pet actually react? And what are we reacting to? If you give them a new treat that, uh, like a dog biscuit that has some food coloring on it and they start to scratch, it could be food sensitivity. Mm-hmm. You know, if they went to the park and come home and start scratching, obviously there could be uh, some weeds or plant material that they're responding to. Um, but far and away, uh, the most common is going to be pollen, but then food allergies are definitely. What about uh, grass? A grass is when it starts to, when the grass starts to get green, mm-hmm. we start to see plants blooming. Uh, grass is the most common, obviously dogs, uh, the Kentucky bluegrass, the most common grass in the lawns. Uh, one of the top allergens for grass, and they're walking mm-hmm. in it all the time. And so they get it on their feet um, that can be absorbed through the skin. Uh, they're down there. Sometimes they eat grass or sniffing in the grass. Yeah. Um, and then also just laying in the grass, you know, they're <laughs> out there just relaxing in the sun. And um, some dogs get extremely allergic to that. It's, it's like a synthetic response because our domestic dogs have been selected by humans, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily see allergies in the wild because nature selects that out so you're not going to see you know wolves with skin problems necessarily uh, because they they can't last long in nature but our domestic pets obviously all different breeds all different sizes uh, across the board it seems like they're all represented pretty well Mm -hmm. Uh, there's really not a non-allergenic dog out there there's some dogs that have less allergy issues than others Um, for example, the poodle seems to maybe be the least allergenic to me, in my opinion, (laughs) where the Labrador as a large breed dog seems to be the most allergenic that I see. And also German shepherds, um, and golden retrievers and golden retrievers. They're right in there with the retriever family. Yeah. Uh, middle of the road, the spaniels uh, seem to have a lot of ear issues, um, related to their problems. And, uh, so as we work through it, we want to find the individual issue. We use the SRT or stress resistance analysis to determine what they're sensitive to, what they're allergic to, but also how does it affect the body? What's it doing in there? Right. And uh, help them to alleviate that their own way mm-hmm. with less reactivity. So we sometimes are using integrated medicine where we're calming the, the heat down and the inflammation, but also helping the pet to get better. Okay. Um, so when you're looking at developing a strategy that's natural, as opposed to one that's, I mean, a, a lot of people do conventionally, it used to be steroids and antibiotics. Then they started having Cytopoint, Apoquel, other things that were more effective and mm-hmm. not so just steroid, no, prednisone and antibiotics. Right. Right. And that was a very vicious cycle and kind of part of the reason that you started practicing, you know, veterinary holistic medicine because it was just such a vicious cycle and they just got worse and worse and worse. 
They did. And it, when it started raw, about raw dogs, right. It started about a year of age. Uh, all of a sudden they start breaking out. Um, they start on that cycle of, of trying to control the inflammation, but you're right over time it became frustrated because it probably I'd say 40% to 50% of those dogs would become chronic. Mm-hmm. You know, the other 50% yeah. would get better and maybe have a seasonal problem occasionally, but so from a Chinese medicine perspective, walk us through how this exactly works. Like when you come in and you see this dog and it's sitting there and it's all red and itchy, what do you start with? Well, we know, first of all, that there's fire or heat. Um, and so the philosophy That's is pretty that self-explanatory, right? Pretty self-explanatory. You can see you can the inflammation. See you can see the redness and the swelling. Um, and that's called fire. Now, nice. when we think about fire, that it helps, it boils off the fluid. Now the fluid is the lymphatic fluid and that can lead to what they call phlegm. Now phlegm is represented as a greasy coat, uh, waxy ears, um, you know, and, and dry skin, those kind of things that we start to see uh, as a result of too much heat. And uh, also it can create stress in the body. So that's a, what they call a shen disturbance because mm-hmm. obviously we've all been itchy to the point of aggravation, you know, mm-hmm. especially like poison ivy, for example, uh, extremely itchy condition for us as humans. So we want to calm the shen, calm the mind down. We want to drain the dampness and reduce the heart fire uh, right. as well. So that's the philosophy behind uh, the, you know, the basic idea of getting it under control, either using Chinese herbs or uh, a supplement like Herbsmith, the allergy uh, mm-hmm. is a really good product as well. Yeah, we're bringing that in, actually. Yeah, I really like it. it um, and it, it does all of those things. You know, it, um, it has Romania root, Angelica, Longan fruit, uh, jujube seed. These are uh, mm-hmm. have different um, activities within this herb. Okay. As far as draining dampness, calming the mind, and, and getting the uh, the heat out of there. Oh, okay. All right. Um, probably everybody could use a little of that in the summer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Food therapy and uh, supplemental therapy. Um, we think about foods. Like it's time to start thinking about changing your food too. Yeah. If you're feeding, well, what, what would people normally be feeding over the winter? Well, the, the common proteins are lamb, chicken. Uh, and also venison, sometimes bison. Uh, the lamb is extremely hot food energy. Mm-hmm. And what it's doing, the body's creating heat. It's not that the food is hot itself, mm-hmm. but the, what it does inside the body. Chicken is very warm to hot, mm-hmm. uh, depending on um, if it's mostly white meat chicken, it's very hot to um, dark meat chickens, it's a little more neutral. And I always read warm. that chicken is the biggest allergen of all the foods. Well, I think so, because of, of how most of the, the protein is raised um, is going to have a lot of potential antibiotics and growth promotes mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the biggest reason that it became uh, allergenic is because it's creating heat in the body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, boar and beef are neutral. Mm-hmm. And then in the coolness, uh, if we want to cool the body down, turkey, fish, rabbit, these are some examples of, of more cooler proteins. So if you think about the seasons, if it's cold outside, we're going to probably eat some chicken soup, right? But mm-hmm. we're in the heat of the summer, we're probably not going to get a bowl of chicken soup out. Right. Um, we're going to eat chicken salad, cooler food energy. Mm-hmm. And um, so the same philosophy with dogs. Spring and fall transitions, we can do chicken turkey blend to make it neutral. We can use boar, we can use beef. 
and then move them into the summer with more cooling proteins, uh, such as the turkey and fish. Okay. All right. Yeah. We have um, one client who has golden doodles and she's just ordered, uh, I think they're big dogs. (laughs) (laughs) She goes through a lot of dog food. She's ordered like three bags of the herring, herring, uh, herring based. I think it's herring and orange or something based food from it's from Farmina because that one really works well for us. It works good for the client. So that's why we use it here. So, um, and then you don't have to feed as much because it's such a high quality food. So even though the price is really high, it's not, it, it kind of works itself out, you know, as far as that goes. So, so our Facebook group is holistic vet advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. So on this group, you're able to go ahead and, you know, ask any questions. We'll try to help you out or kind of just even explain the philosophy or even the the medical theories about what your pet is going through. So if we can't, you know, directly help you, we can do that. Uh, so our first question today is allergy related. And this one comes from Pam. Um, she wants to know, um, would Benadryl be okay till, um, you know, we have some other, some other products that she's interested in that would kick in to help her dog's allergies and just, just kind of get ahead of it. So she's not dealing with a really bad problem. Well, Benadryl is often the, the first go-to. Uh, what I found with Benadryl, unfortunately, is that um, it's not going to be as effective in those more severe allergies, for sure. Maybe light allergies, it's a good start. Uh, but a, a more holistic product is quercetin. Uh, quercetin is a flavonoid. It's from the pigment of certain plant materials. Um, the products that have that in there are going to be red wine apples and berries, also green tea. Uh, some of the herbals, ginkgo biloba and St. John's wort also have it in there. Um, and it is called nature's Benadryl. And so um, the- Corsetin, did you say it right? I think I did. We had to listen to it on yes. the, we had to listen to it on Google to make sure we said it right. It's like tomato, tomato kind of thing. But right. the, um, the dosage for dogs is um, five to 10 milligrams per pound of body weight. And that could be split into twice daily dosages. Uh, it can also be useful in cats. In cats, uh, you basically take their weight in pounds times a thousand to get milligrams divided by 125, which gives you the dose of, of the quercetin. The, uh, a 10 pound cat, for example, would take about 80 milligrams. Okay. So we had a specific question about dosing. And this one comes from Christina, and she was on our holistic vet advice pay, uh, group on Facebook. And she says, you know, of course, she wants to try the quercetin. I'm just not sure how much is safe to give and can't figure it out online. He's 11 months and weighs 17 pounds. So if you're 11 months and you're already having trouble like this, you know, I mean, there's got to be, I don't know. Yeah. It, less than a year old. A lot of times the food allergies are coming in there. Okay. Um, it seems like uh, far and away, it, it, over 50% of the dogs who have allergies under a year are going to have food sensitivities. Mm. Uh, sometimes they're started on, on puppy foods uh, initially, like puppy chow, for example, uh, that can set them up for allergies a little bit later. Uh, but for a dosage for 17 pounds, we just take that. Um, it's going to be 170 at the high dose. 170 what? Uh, 170 milligrams. Okay. Yeah. And then um, uh, down to eight. So it'd be 80 to 170 milligrams. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you can do to start draining heat? I mean, is being in the air conditioning better than being in a house with fans? Uh, you know, a lot of people might like put their dog in the garage in their cage with a fan. 
um, swimming. Uh, what other methods could you do to kind of like drain this kind of heat and the dampness out of your dogs in the summer? Well, because they can't sweat, they just, it, they can only sweat through their pads and pants. So it's really hard to like in the air conditioning, it's obviously going to help some. Um, for really hairy dogs, you can consider, you know, shaving their belly. So their belly is open so they can lay right on to the, the coldness. Um, also, swimming is a great idea. You know, they can, uh, it can get off surface allergens, but also cool the body down. Uh, it's good for the mind. I think uh, a lot of times when dogs are itchy and scratchy, uh, the activity really helps. Yeah, <laughs> definitely gets their mind off of it. And the so, same for the owner. Nobody right. wants to sit and listen to that. It's absolutely awful to have to listen to your yeah. dog just scratching and scratching and licking the paws. And right. is there a difference between like the paw licking and the belly stuff and just the overall um, problem? Yeah, I mean, that's... It, it, okay, so what's the difference? So if you've got somebody with itchy paws, is there like something that usually is? Well, ears... Um, for example, it's going to be damp heat or heat in the gallbladder, uh, the feet, also gallbladder or GI tract. Uh, if they're scooting or have a lot of brown staining around the perianal area, uh, that's also related uh, to food as well. Uh, the, the flanks, if they're biting at the flanks and they have kind of dark looking mm -hmm. pigmented flanks, mm -hmm. uh, usually related to food and also armpits if they're scratching there. The rest of the trunk um, and the eye drainage can be more respiratory because okay. in Chinese medicine, the skin has a relationship to the lung. And so if we have disorders of the lung, we're going to probably have an outflow to the, the skin itself. Okay. okay. The GI tract more uh, creates dampness. So you're going to see that more ears, flanks, uh, feet, and, and rear. Oh, okay. So anal glands are part of that too. So scooting uh, can block the anal glands be, and leads yeah, to some issues would, there. It would kind of be interesting to know, Christine, um, I don't know if you're listening right now, if you're able to join us now, but maybe later you can comment on this um, to see where that itching actually is coming from. So we can kind of maybe give you some direction at least on, you know, the paws, the flanks, and what else? And uh, the, the ears and, uh, and under the tail. Okay. So they're always going to be biting there, scooting. Yeah. That's more of a food allergy. More food sensitivity, yeah. Interesting. So if they have it all over their back, and like our dog gets it, and he just rolls and rolls and rolls, and his back feels kind of bumpy and stuff like that, it's more of what? More entry through the respiratory tract. So that's okay. more lung um, versus GI tract. Is it like detoxing or something? Is that why it's coming out in the skin or how does that work? Well, the philosophy is that uh, once it gains entry, so uh, we think about the initial allergen uh, is that if you came in contact with, with, um, with certain pollen and you sneezed, you're, you're basically expelling it at that point. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the, the small particle size of these allergens go deeper into the system. So if it reaches the lungs, then Unfortunately, it's going to get into the system and the body has to detox it and get it out. And Same does way. that through the skin? Does that through the skin. Oh, really? Also, uh, the GI tract, the skin is the outflow as well. So if we get um, certain products coming in that interrupt the normal uh, microbiome, also interrupt the normal absorptive integrity of the intestinal lining, uh, classically called leaky gut, okay. uh, then you get these allergens in the lymphatic system. Same way with the lung. So once it hits the lymph system, 
the immune system is going to react to it. So it's trying to, now it's a foreign body, just like a virus. Mm-hmm. Immune system is trying to create antibodies against it. Mm-hmm. So that's a philosophy behind allergy shots. Okay. okay. We're trying to, to create antibodies. So if they're exposed again, they're going to have a, also a, nat- a natural defense system ready mm-hmm. to counteract it. Um, the problem is, is that when we need to allow antibody formation, we do have to let them scratch and itch a bit because the first thing we do is we put them on a steroid. That's going to block the antibody response. So now they're not creating their own immunity against the allergen anymore because yeah. we're also suppressing that response with uh, using Apoquil or steroids and things like that. We do want to, is, if it's really severe, we have to, you know, because if they're really beating themselves up, you know, you got to get ahead of it. But if it's a mild scratching response, we don't want to, necessarily pull out the antihistamines right away. Okay. We want to understand the environment first. What what are we reacting to? That's where SRT comes in because it gives you a map and says, okay, this is the environmental response. This tells us where exactly this is coming from. Now, the second thing um, after we get that established is we want to reset the biofield so we're not as reactive. Okay. And then at the same time, use more natural products that aren't going to block that natural antibody response. Okay. So um, Dr. Salzberg wants to know how often you shampoo a dog with allergies and which shampoo do you recommend? Well, during the allergy season, you can actually bathe them once or twice a week, especially if they're really allergenic. Um, With those type of shampoos, you want to use something that's, uh, you know, as far as allergenic based shampoo, that's a little milder. So you can use it more often. Um, in some cases, um, you know, in, in a pinch, you could use Dawn dishwashing liquid, extremely mild detergent gets off the grease and inflammation, especially if the dogs have a lot of discharge coming off of the skin, really greasy skin. But your preference would be that they use something else like say right. like an aloe and oatmeal shampoo. Right. Yeah. If you have to use, actually, I have one right back there. Yeah. I'm going to grab it while you keep talking. Yeah, I love <laughs> Aloe and oatmeal has always been a, a very good product because aloe is soothing to the skin. The, the oatmeal is a natural cleanser and gets off some of the surface allergens. Uh, if we have lesions, um, a ketochlor-based shampoo is very good. Uh, if we have a lot of greasy discharge, then we want to use something that has a little bit of sulfur in it uh, to help uh, get off a lot of that greasy stuff. We have a sulfur-based shampoo that we sell. Um, This one is new. It's a new product that we just got in the mail, a sample. Um, It's honeysuckle scented. So I don't know how you feel about that. Um, And it's the Scouts Honor Probiotic Shampoo Plus Conditioner with avocado oil. Naturally relieves and prevents itching odor hotspots and shedding. And it says it's tear-free too, containing omega-3s. But it says probiotic. So what do you think of that? Well, um, it, it, it offers a lot of good um, you know, characteristics to the shampoo that we want. You know, it's a, it's a cleanser. It's also a conditioner because sometimes you're using a shampoo and then a conditioner afterward because a lot of the cleansing shampoos, we're actually taking off the natural oil layer along with the other surface contaminants, but we want something to replace that. And uh, so the, that's where the conditioners come in. The probiotic is probably good for the skin, but also uh, we kind of more think about probiotics for the GI tract, uh, but it can be also a skin conditioner and toner. And there's a couple of probiotics I haven't heard of in here. There's also Saccharomyces and 
and a, a couple of others. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to pronounce these. They also have a fig lemon ferment that's in here too. So I think this is actually probably an interesting product. Yeah, it probably smells yeah. good. The the thing about scent good. is the dogs don't really care. We care. <laughs> yeah. So that's why the scents are in there. Because Is the scent going to be irritating now? Um, usually not if it's a natural product, but you do have to be careful of like our own shampoos because they are scented and have different products in it uh, to make it smell good. Um, there again, a very neutral shampoo is best for dogs who are really sensitive. Uh, for a, just a general, a good overall shampoo, this one's a great one. I mean... Uh, with a little bit of scent in it makes them smell good mm-hmm. um, i might order some in you guys so there it is right there um, if anybody wants to go ahead and do a drawing on this um, it was free so i will go ahead and do that if you want to just enter your name or i can just take the names from everybody who's watched today and uh, i'll mail this out when we draw one okay um, so we have a couple of other things uh, a question from paulina who's watching us she has a question about the Soresto collar mm-hmm. it's interesting um paulina that you would, you know, ask that follow-up question, is it safe? What should we do now? What are we supposed to do? So uh, we got a letter from Elanco and they own Soresto. Um, part of the letter, I kind of skimmed through it, says here, Soresto is a globally marketed product. As such, more than 80 regulatory authorities around the world, including the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, rigorously reviewed safety data collected over the course of its development. Further, the safety and efficacy of Soresto are continuously monitored by several regulatory authorities around the world, as well as via internal processes. So Soresto came under fire when USA Today uh, released an article claiming a link between Soresto, which is a flea and tick collar, and adverse events in patch, which prompted um, an Illinois legislator to request additional information about the claims I made a request for Elanco for a temporary recall. So this got a lot of publicity. And then, you know, you get a lot of other people who start saying stuff, you know, like, oh, it happened to my dog. I think that's what happened to my dog, that kind of thing. So um, here it also says one other thing to think about. Since its initial U.S. registration in 2012, more than 25 million Soresto collars have protected dogs and cats from fleas and ticks that can transmit disease and can impact their quality of life. I think it said that was like 1,100 dogs or something that article said. I don't really remember, but I think it was something like 1,100 dogs they were trying to claim had died because of Soresto. Um, And it says here also, since the approval, the reporting rate for U.S. incidents related to Soresto is less than 0.3%. So, I mean, you always want it to be zero, you know? Right. And And when we use the more traditional products, um, they're going to be FDA regulated. Um, they're going to be controlled. There's a lot of research behind it. Uh, any product's going to have side effects. Uh, even the essential oil products that you put on the skin can have side effects. So uh, the, the big thing is uh, talking to your veterinarian about what products is going to fit best. And then be conscious after you use it, how's the pet doing with it? Is it creating an irritation or reaction or, or an inflammation? So we always want to be aware when we're using the products, um, so especially something that lasts eight months. Uh, you can easily, the first week, determine if this is going to be a problem for the dog or not. So she wants to know also, Paulina, who's watching us, um, she also wants to know, what about like Wonderside? What am I going to do now? Um, because she doesn't feel comfortable using Soresto, although, you know, we get into these issues of this anecdotal problem 
Okay. And then it just blows up on social media. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just, I'm not doubting anybody's, you know, experience, I guess, but I, the thing I doubt is the people who cabbage onto it. Right. You know, it's more of an agenda than it is reality sometimes. It is because it come, it's kind of like the mob rules sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. And, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I don't mean, you know, it's just hard. It's hard to be in the kind of middle of, of that one. Yeah. I guess. But, but you do have to. So, be what do you think about that. the Wonderside and other products? Wonderside, I think, has had some mixed reviews. Um, and it is made with uh, cedarwood oil, from what I understand. So, cedarwood oil is not good for dogs, right? You have to be careful with cedarwood oil. Uh, because it can be, uh, ex- you know, extremely reactive because uh, I've said in other shows is that uh, the natural products have not been researched to know what the side effects are, but also at the same time, what's the exact dosage that's going to work for mm-hmm. each pet. Mm-hmm. So you just have to kind of, um, I think if you're going to do that, I think you just, Paulina, have to start really slow and kind of go from there and just kind of, you know, work your way up to that one. So we have to take a break right now. Uh, When we come back, we have many more questions from our holistic vet advice group, including questions about the the, um, pain reliever called Galaprant that's prescribed in animal hospitals. And also um, someone who's trying to get an ultrasound for their pet, but there's not one available in their area. A few other questions like that. So we'll come back in just a few minutes. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Listen for Go to Health Radio, featuring host Jonathan Marks and health experts from around the world who bring evidence-based education from Western, alternative, and holistic practices. We bring together you, seeking relevant and proven information for your health care needs and reputable health care experts and companies who offer quality education for your benefit. Monthly, we also share continuing education for medical professionals. Listen live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. 
New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Bed Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois. We have the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus here. Our daycare and swimming pool are coming soon, so we're having a pretty good time getting everything going. Uh, we do have a full pet store, and I did receive this product as a sample. It's Scout's Honor, their new product. It's a probiotic shampoo and conditioner. Reviewed the ingredients. They look pretty good in it, and it has several strains of probiotic that Actually, I can't pronounce (laughs) and I'm not going to try. But anyway, um, this is for a drawing for today. So um, we're just going to go through everybody who has, um, you know, watched us today on all of our different channels and um, we'll draw some names. Okay. And um, mail it to you if we have your address. If not, I'll get in touch with you and get your address for that. Okay. Okay. So um, a lot of people, okay, you know about the prebiotics, you know about the probiotics, but apparently now there's a postbiotic. And I don't even know where to begin with this. What do, what do they mean, a postbiotic that's going to be coming out in pet food? It's getting all this attention and a bigger deal than, than uh, almost as big a deal as a probiotic. Right. And uh, a lot of research, especially on the human side, but becoming more on the pet side too, is, is what they call the microbiome. And that's mm-hmm. the little bacterial community in the GI tract. And it's uh, almost like a little brain because it communicates more with the brain than the brain communicates with it. Uh, it's intimately associated with the adrenal gland uh, and other hormones in the body. Uh, and these little bacteria, uh, there's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria, uh, but they all balance each other out. But when it gets out of balance, unfortunately, that's where you get into leaky gut issues, you get into irritable bowel issues, uh, digestive upset, et cetera. So uh, initially, the probiotic was introduced. So probiotic is actually the a good bacteria that we're putting into the GI tract. So probiotics came out first, then the prebiotics. So prebiotics are the food for the bacteria. So, so they like prime the gut. So it primes the gut. So you put the, the bacteria in there and you got to feed the good bacteria. And then. Um, Is it like a digestive enzyme or something? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's kind of like food for little bacteria. So it's sort okay. of like a, uh, there's enzymes and minerals, things like that, that help the, oh, okay. the little bacteria to grow. The, and then when they eat it, the bacteria produced a waste product that's actually beneficial. It's a fermentation product. Oh, okay. And that's the postbiotic. Okay. And so got those it. can be added as well. So, uh, you know, you don't have to wait for the bacteria to eat the prebiotic and then produce it themselves. You can actually add a little bit more. So some kind of something that ferments in the stomach. Right. Or it's fermented before it goes in the stomach. Yeah, and it's been uh, well known for centuries that fermentation is good for the gut, right? So mm-hmm. kombucha. Uh, that's one of the oh yeah <laughs> uh, one of the more common ones that and uh, there's but, so much of that drunk in our house it's ridiculous yeah, it's delicious, you know, but but that's the idea is that you're um, you're creating more of a fermentation process a process which is really healthy for the GI tract 
Okay. So, so this article is from uh, the Pet Food Industry News. We like them a lot. They put out a lot of really great articles. And in it, they have something called True Immune Postbiotics. And they did some studies on this particular product. And it said dogs fed True Immune were 15% more active than control dogs. Mm-hmm. And um, the research study involved the dogs running over a set distance following a trainer's vehicle. So <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> that sounds yeah. awful. But, um, you know, that's how they did the study. And that's what they came up with. So a little bit of added energy. Yeah, adds a little bit more energy. It helps with, uh, and I think that the reason is, is you're getting better absorption of the proper nutrients and then you're eliminating waste products from the the GI tract much more easily. All right, gotcha. Okay, so we have our Holistic Vet Advice group. It's called Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, and that is on um, Facebook. So you can join it. We'll try to help you out. We'll try to just kind of explain what your pet's going through or give you some options. We have a lot of questions to get to today. And also, if you have questions, be sure to just write them in to our Facebook Live. Uh, We're on several channels on Facebook, so you can certainly do that. And we'll try to help you out uh, the best we can. Um, So we have a question. It's kind of a weird one. Um, I haven't, you know, this one hasn't happened before. It says, um, my dog takes Galaprant for arthritis. That was actually prescribed by you. This is one of your clients. Mm -hmm. I've heard through a friend whose primary care vet told her that Galaprant is causing liver issues in dogs. Has anyone had that experience? So, you know, I don't want to put that out there without, you know, kind of getting some more information, you know, from the company. So the company says um, Galaprant is obviously going to be, much safer. That's the selling point of it. It's safer for the organs. It is because it's it's not what they call a, uh, used, the old NSAIDs used to have what they call COX-1 inhibitors. So like aspirin. Um, aspirin uh, was an effective pain reliever, but it affected the other organ systems, especially the GI tract and reducing blood flow to the GI tract. And you know, we've all heard of you know, taking too much aspirin sometimes can create ulcers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then out came the COX-2 inhibitors, which did less of that working on different receptors. But Galaprand is a unique product because it avoids that uh, completely and goes directly to the pain point on the cell. Uh, so you're going to have, it's much easier on the kidneys, it's much easier on the liver because it's not affecting vascular blood flow. Mm-hmm. It's just working right on the pain receptor itself. Okay. So Galaprant was studied up to 15 times the labeled dose daily in dogs as young as nine months over a nine month period with only mild GI signs that were Mm self-resolving. As a result of the safety data, the FDA removed the requirement for blood monitoring from the label. So, you know, if you come in and you are consistently on um, carprofen, then, you know, you can't really let that go too long without rechecking that blood work all the time to make right. sure the organs are still functioning properly. Did right. Have that right? Yeah. You okay. should you know, test at least twice a year, um, especially in older patients to make sure because it doesn't cause liver issues, but if liver issues are developing, it can make that worse, especially um, a lot of dogs are uh, say on a, the carpofen product uh, could have increased amount of alkaline phosphatase. Mm-hmm. Uh, which can mimic you know, uh, having liver issues, but it does affect the, affect the liver enzyme. But at the same time, um, if that's going up and up, they could be developing liver issues okay. where a galloprant would be more of an effective choice. Now, we, I'm always one that 
we only want to use pain relief as needed. We don't want to just keep them on it all the time because it blocks the pain receptor. It doesn't stop the inflammation or degeneration. We have to remember that. It's just blocking pain and reducing inflammation. But at the same time, we have to get to the root of the of the the, the arthritis. So is it uh, an autoimmune base for arthritis? Is it rheumatoid arthritis? Is it uh, osteoarthritis? Is it just an injury? So um, I always One of the things it says here is that 75% of dogs are in the moderate or severe stages of osteoarthritis before they even begin treatment. So mm-hmm. early treatment, um, a lot of people just miss it. You think your dog's fine or maybe they got a little hitch, but they work out of it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there, there are good reasons to work on some of this stuff yeah, early. For, for sure. Because you, you know, when do you the- normally see an osteoarthritis situation developing? Well, to me, it seems to be starting somewhere around the age of seven plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so our one of our dogs is seven and just noticed now that she seems, I mean, she's an extremely active dog. She's a border collie. So she wants to run around all day mm-hmm. um, and just use her body in crazy ways. It's <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, all, the, all the herding breeds, <laughs> jumping and running and swimming and just everything she can do. So um I did kind of notice she's seven now and she seems to have a little hitch every once in a while. Yeah. You can notice that, especially in the morning after they've been resting, if, if the pets are uh, getting up and they seem a little stiff and then they start to work it out as they, they become more active, that's usually the first sign that, that there could be problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the question is, you know, before you um, really start uh, an NSAID long-term is you want to have a, a baseline blood test and you do want to do some x-rays to determine, you know, do we have evidence of degenerative arthritis? Do we have uh, just mild changes or no changes at all? Because it'll dictate the length of time that we're going to be on it. Okay. All right. So um, Tony has a question. She wants to know how long will an FIP cat live? Well, FIP, unfortunately, as the, uh, it is a coronavirus in cats. Uh, a lot What's of cats, it stand for? Uh, feline infectious peritonitis. Okay. And it is the mutated form of the feline coronavirus that's much more virulent. Um, usually we see FIP and unfortunately really young cats, uh, you know, clinical signs, uh, classic signs are, are chronic diarrhea, uh, bloating. And uh, once they come in and you see a kitty like that, uh, we're usually tapping the abdomen to see if there's fluid. And, and you're not just saying bloating. Out. I mean, we're talking like they're Stomach looks like a balloon. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely an overfull balloon. It's it's pretty sad, actually. Yeah, yeah. It can be debilitating because unfortunately, it attacks the uh, the intestinal lining. It's called the wet form. There is a dry form that affects the lungs, but uh, a large percentage of them are in the wet form, and it attacks the um, uh, the, the lining of the vascular arteries uh, and allows leakage of fluid especially into the abdomen. So it basically the vessels can't hold fluid anymore. Oh. And so you lose a lot of uh, the most important protein, albumin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, albumin is to create oncotic pressure that keeps fluid in the vessels. And when you don't have that, it's got nowhere to go. So it's going to mm-hmm. leak out in the abdomen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it, it, it's, it's really hard. Um, once they've reached that stage, um, it, it's almost too late, you know, okay. and, uh, but if we can catch it early, 
Uh, What if you're catching it early and kind of nursing it along or doing all the right things? What are the right things to do? Well, first of all, we want to, we can't get rid of the virus. The body has to do that. uh, And sometimes, most of the time it can't. Uh, But at the same time, be supportive. So immunosupportive, uh, we have to uh, support the the oncotic pressure as far as the leakage of protein. Uh, So usually using uh, small doses of steroid to stop that inflammatory response and get them back on track. Um, and then also using, uh, you know, herbal products. If the kitties think about cats, they don't always like the herbs, but at the same time, uh, using products like Wei Chi Booster, for example, Happy Earth, those products to help. Okay. So aren't these cats um, very uh, contagious? They are, unfortunately. Um, and so once they're diagnosed, it's a retrovirus. So some cats get exposed to it and nothing ever happens. Okay. And then some cats get exposed to it and then they don't break with it until later on in life. So say when they get to be a young adult, so say five or six years old, and then other ones uh, have a full blown disease right away. So it's, it's hard to predict. Um, and it's hard to test for because if you were to just do a standard test of the to test for coronavirus, mm-hmm. it might shut up, show up as corona, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's FIP. It just says, well, I have a coronavirus exposure, no. but I would start to, you know, really work on those kitties to make sure that that doesn't morph and flip over get into some, the get FIP into something form. worse than, yeah. yeah. And it's contagious to all your other cats. Right. So by the time we diagnose that they've already been together, Right. So, but I've had. So, if you're taking in a new kitty, because it's kitty season, so oh, so much fun. I love kitty season. Yeah, but so, I mean, if you're taking in a kitty, then you got to be careful. Right. I always, and it's hard to do, but most of the clients um, have already put the other cats together. But you want to do a 30 day roughly quarantine okay. uh, to allow the kitties to acclimate, but also to make sure does this kitty have a respiratory problem or GI problem? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's, it's infectious, uh, then we don't want to spread it to the other cats. Uh, fortunately, in, at least in, in my years of practice, I've not seen all the cats get FIP. Okay. I've seen one cat have FIP and the other ones are either Corona negative or they had Corona, but they, okay. they weren't sick and, or never got sick. Okay. All right. Okay. So three more questions we have to get in today. Um, Okay. So three weeks ago, this is from Tracy from our holistic vet advice group. The three weeks ago, the vet said our dog had water in her chest cavity. So I'm Mm -hmm. assuming she means fluid. Okay. Um, The first vet gave us an antibiotic. He said they didn't have an ultrasound machine. I started giving her dandelion root, parsley, and turmeric to help relieve some of the water. The last week, my doctor or my daughter took her to a vet and they gave her a water pill and prednisone. Mm -hmm. That's not helping either. No one around here has an ultrasound machine and she just doesn't know what to do now. Well, the, I guess a quick test that we could consider um, is if we have an x-ray and know there's fluid in there that you could tap that fluid. Now it's better to be ultrasound guided Mm-hmm. to tap that mm-hmm. but we'd have to know what that fluid is because um, if, if it's chronic fluid in the chest there's a, a good chance that uh, the pet could have what they call a thymic tumor um, the thymus usually regresses when they're puppies 
uh, but some stay active and actually can become cancerous and actually leak a lot of what they call pleural fluid into the chest. Um, Got it. And so that's, um, especially if the other products uh, that, that was used didn't seem to curb it, I'd be worried about that. Okay. I don't know, you know, where you live, Tracy, um, but it might be kind of a drive and it might be really worth it to go the ultrasound route. I'm assuming, you know, they want this to be ultrasound guided. So your veterinarian probably isn't maybe just going to do lesser of a treatment and want you to find a center to go to. A lot of schools, um, a lot of veterinary schools would be able to help you. So that's a good resource for Mm -hmm. you. And any bigger city you can get to will have an emergency clinic or a specialty clinic that does have an ultrasound. So it's going to take a little work on your part to find that. And I'm assuming that that's probably what your vet wants you to do is find that place um, rather than just resort to the non-ultrasound guided tap. Right. Cause it can be dangerous. Obviously the heart's there and uh, you, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't want to necessarily rough up the uh, lung tissue mm-hmm. as well. Uh, you would want to be able to make sure you got a good clean tap uh, to get some of that fluid and find out what exactly All right. is. Well, it. let us know how that goes. Cause yeah. I'm interested to see, you know, how you're going to find an ultrasound in your area and, and what can be done and, and how it all works out for you. Okay. So just keep in touch with us and let us know how things are going and see if we can answer any more questions for you. I think this question might be from uh, overseas. I would say maybe it's somebody from the UK. Mm-hmm. Her name is Charmaine. Um, she says, can you help me with some advice? I have a male cat. He's fixed. He has a secondary infection from a flea bite. He was at the vet, got an injection three weeks ago, but he's scratching again. and got some sore on his neck. A bit of hair loss. She says she can't afford the vet until the month's end and they don't attend to your animal unless you pay up front. So she says she's given him a cap star and she wants to know if that will help. And then also she's scratching and the chemist, so this is why I'm thinking she's, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's not from America, said I should use Rubo's tea water, which is a red tea. It's an African tea. Mm-hmm. And that'll help and also give him Doxydog 50 antibiotic and Usually she says that's used for the snuffles. So, okay. <laughs> okay. So what can you do to help her out? Well, uh, for kitties that develop, you know, if they've had exposure to fleas and then all of a sudden you, you see the, the skin lesions, uh, it's a condition and most cases called eosinophilic dermatitis. Uh, what happens is that uh, the eosinophils congregate to certain areas of the skin in response to a parasite or allergen. Um, and not all cats do this. Some cats have the, the smaller form called miliary dermatitis, and then some cats don't react to it at all. So um, the uh, an, an easy thing, which would be less expensive, you could do the quercetin or quercetin route. Quercetin. Quercetin. <laughs> there. We practiced all morning. That's right. <laughs> and, and using the, you know, that's that's going to be the, a natural Benadryl or natural antihistamine okay. uh, until you can get in. Um, some of the other products I'm not necessarily familiar with, but those uh, sound natural to me. Uh, we just want to be Doxy careful. Doxydog sounds like doxycycline. Yeah, it could be. Um, it, it, it's a more of a, you know. yeah, it, yeah, it could be doxycycline. If it is, it's, it, it is an antibiotic, but it's more related to inflammatory skin conditions. Did you do some, respiratory. you worked out some dosing on the quercetin, right? I did. Um, for kitties, you want to take their weight in pounds times a thousand. I can put this on our, yeah. I'll put this on our, our group page, our holistic vet advice page. Yeah. 
because it's a lot to remember. It is. And um, but you've worked out the doses so we can now yeah. we can pass that along, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. We have this one's a little bit of a sad question, but it is one worth noting, and it comes from Alex. And he says, you know, he had some friends who were kind of talking about this. Um, not a popular conversation, he said, but how often do you have or hear of people who have older dogs and either want to get rid of them so they can get a new dog? It's unfathomable for me, but I have heard a bunch either take them to shelters or worse. And as a doctor, how do you approach that in situations with older dogs? I know older dogs have more issues, which occurs incurs more medical expenses for people. But I'm just curious on what you see with elder animal care. Well, most folks are willing to to go to the end with their pets. Um, They're They're really committed. We have a lot of people who are really committed. Yeah, because we do a lot of holistic health um, and it can provide them, you know, surprisingly dogs that we thought maybe it was going to be the end. um, And they came to see me with a bad prognosis from specialists. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually lived to, uh, the other gentleman the other day mentioned that his dog lived six more years after doing holistic care, mm-hmm. um, was very pleased with that. So, but kind of why you got into it is why I got into it. I love senior pets. I love to see them thrive and, and enjoy life even into their senior years. Uh, but I understand the, um, the, the, the stress, uh, financial pain related to mm-hmm. dogs who have chronic disease and, um, it, it, it's a sad situation, but sometimes we have to know, is it, is it worse to be alive yeah. in our dogs? So if they're really suffering, then the end of life mm-hmm. decision is a better conversation. If Not you just want to get rid of it. I mean, there really aren't too many veterinarians. I mean, you do get hit up on it. I mean, I had a guy pull in last year and say, I got my cat in the car. He wasn't a client here, never met him. I have my cat in the car and I need it put down. It's peeing all over the house. And Mm -hmm. you're like, well, you know, have you tried AB? I've tried everything. I just need it done. And I'm like, well, you know, you're not a client here. We really don't do that, you know, to a young two-year-old cat, you know? And he's like, well, I have cash and I'm like, this okay, that's yeah. not, no veterinarian, I don't think in America is going to be like that. So, I mean, no. if they are, you don't want to go to that one, but it's, there are a lot of people who are just done and over it and don't yeah. have the patience to deal with it. But I would say the majority of people, and I mean like 90% of people are good and willing to take care of their dog as long as possible. And people fret so much. It's so sad. And I mean, I've been that way. You've been that way about our own animals. Like you sit and fret and you wait and wait and think, mm-hmm. you know, I know he's going to tell me when it's time, but then, you know, you feel bad the entire time. And, and the, probably the most common question, did I do it too soon? You know, so there are so many people who are fabulous pet owners that this question does come up, but not so much anymore. People really see this as part of their family. Yeah. I would think 20 or 30 years ago to be like, I could see this happening a lot more. Yeah. Now um, it's just, this just doesn't really, I think people are really, really good to their animals now and yeah. it's getting so much better. So good on you. Yeah, they right. definitely see them as uh, family members. For sure. All right. Well, um, join us on our holistic vet advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson group on Facebook. And thanks for everybody for watching today. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to awesome woo woo holistic vet advice. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, again next Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Now go make some time with your best friend. 